Okay, well, thankful to uh, our ministers last week with our Refined Sunday. Uh, of course, Brother Jay spoke in our class time, which I thought was wonderful. He did a great job. And uh, uh, Kyle during our worship and then Ben in the afternoon service. So I hope you got a chance to, uh, to get to see that. And then uh, I guess we'll be coming up with our new charge weekend. I think it's the first Sunday in January or maybe actually it's the first Sunday is New Year's. So it'll be the next Sunday after that is our charge weekend. That'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of that week weekend. And uh, so looking forward to that coming up in the new year. And I hope you're getting ready for the holidays. I know we are. We're, uh, I just spent several hours the other night ordering stuff online, you know. And it seemed to be faster now. We got something, I ordered something like Thursday night and it arrived Friday. I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm used to taking two weeks or, or a month or something. So that was pretty good, I thought. <coughs> but anyways. All right, so uh, to get into our lesson, you know, we've been studying in uh, the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. You can be turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 if you wish. Uh, and we'll, just a little review, since we haven't been in class for a couple weeks, you know, Paul had to write to the churches in Galatia. These are, these are churches in that region that he helped establish on his first missionary journey, and you can read about that in Acts. When he went back on a second missionary journey, he had found out some things that occurred in some of those uh, congregations, some of those churches that he had found out. For instance, he had some who were creeping in and saying, wait a minute, even though you're a Christian, even though you now have this freedom, you still have to, you're still under the law of Moses. You still have to keep the law. You still have to be circumcised and so forth. And he's having to deal with that. He's having to try to teach these folks that say, no, no, that's the old law. That was back then. That was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Now you have freedom. Now you have liberty in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain what all that means, right, and how that works. We don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to worry about keeping the law. Sure, the law teaches us. It's our tutor as to what is right and what is wrong, what sin is, what sin is not, what truth is, right? And by having the law, we can know what God is real to us and his truth and his character and, and what he wants from us. And that's according to his design, right? God designed us as Christians, I mean as, uh, as human beings, to live in according to his will, to glorify God. That's our purpose. And by doing that on earth, it's kind of like we are, in, we are living in a heaven, right? We, we become our freedom in Christ uh, we grow in that and we become creatures who are like the, the heavenly host. Those who are in heaven. And it's, an, it's a precursor to what it's going to be like in heaven. Sure, we have, we have sin in this world. This world is dying. It's, it's a fleshly world. It's, a, it's not heaven, right? It's definitely not heaven. We know that. And uh, we, we can live, though, in the spirit, he talks about. In the spirit being something that's kind of new to them, right? Kind of hard to understand and it's something that we need to see and he's got he's been contrasting that a little bit and we went through a whole uh, I think it was three weeks of what he talks about is being in the flesh and that being in the flesh you become opposed to being in the spirit and he talked about things that are that show that we are in the flesh and if you continue in these things you're in the flesh and that becomes opposed to being in the spirit and therefore living in freedom in Christ Jesus in our previous studies, we were looking at chapter 5 there. And let's go back and read a little bit what he said in verse 16 there. 
He said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Two verses there I want you to notice. First, verse 18. He says, if you were led, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that's kind of the that's kind of the summary of what he's been talking about up to this point, right? We're no longer under the law. If we're led by the Spirit, we're, we're living according to what Christ wants, according to what God wants for us. We don't need the law, right? We don't, we don't have to worry about keeping the law. If you're living according to the Spirit, you're going to do things in accordance with God's will, right? Sure, that doesn't mean you're not going to sin. We're not perfect. We're in the flesh still. We're not perfect. We can't, and we can't keep the law because of that, right? It's not possible. But what he's saying is, you're not condemned by the law anymore. Therefore, it's not something you have to worry about. You think about it in the Old Testament. Look, you remember all the laws and how, how they had to be rigid about keeping them? And, and, you know, if you did something on the Sabbath, you were, you know, it was awful, you know, and, and how they added all the other laws to what was already there. And it was just a very rigid, imperfect life, right? saying is now, now you live according to the law of love because God loved you and sent his only son, gave you an opportunity to have hope, gave you an opportunity to have eternal life and abundant life, joyful, peaceful life here on earth. Therefore, it's not about keeping the law. It's about living in Christ. And when you do that, that's how God designed it. You're living kind of like what it's going to be like in heaven where there is no sin, where there won't be no sorrow. It doesn't mean we're not going to have those things here, but you're living according to how he designed it before sin came into the world. Of course, he had to give us a choice, right? He couldn't just make us robots, you know. He had to give us a choice. And when we choose him, when we choose that liberty, that freedom, we glorify him because the world sees that as stupidity. The world sees what we're doing is just dumb. Why would you do that? Go enjoy yourself, man. Go have some fun, you know. Get all the gusto while you can because you're not here for long. It's a different mindset, isn't it? And it's a different mindset that as you grow, changes the heart, you grow into it, you get more and more spiritual, more and more like Christ every day. Interesting concept, right? Well, he's saying you got to walk in the Spirit. It's not about being in the flesh. <clears throat> we cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh if we're going to walk in the spirit. They're diametrically opposed. You can't do both, right? You can't live in one and the, the other. And if you're in the spirit, you're going to produce fruit. Verse 22 and 23 talk about that. And not only that, in verse 18 there he said and frees one from the condemnation of the law. If you go back to verse 20 uh, verse 21 he says at the end of that I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right. 
Now, I've talked about this many times, what the kingdom is, right? The kingdom came at Pentecost. It was established. Kingdom of heaven. Jesus ascended, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom. We in his church are part of that kingdom of heaven, okay? We're a part of that now. We are, you can say we are uh, servants. We are um, citizens of that kingdom now, right? And we live here on earth. We're, we're his, we're the, we're the examples of Christ Jesus that the world sees from his kingdom here on earth. Okay, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about how that all plays out here today. I'm going to read the next few verses there in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 24. He says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. So he goes on to say, so if all this is true, those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does he mean by that exactly? How, how have we crucified the flesh, right? Jesus was crucified on the cross, right? And he's using that as an example to talk about how we are to be, right? Jesus was crucified, therefore we have crucified the flesh and now live in the spirit. Interesting concept, right? They allude to much that is revealed elsewhere as what it means to be a Christian, but as a disciple of Christ, uh, for someone who truly belongs to Christ, we are those who have been crucified in the flesh. Turn over to Romans chapter 6, and let's just read about that again. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. Let's see what Paul had to say there. Beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Interesting concept, right? When we were baptized into Christ, we put on the new man. The old fleshly man was buried with Christ in baptism. Now I know, that's, it's, we're talking symbolism here, right? But that's what's happening. You are now having those sins washed away through the blood of Christ. You're now raised a new creature. You've crucified the fleshly man, and now you're walking in the Spirit. That's the idea. That's the beginning. So now that we live, in, now that Christ lives in us, we live by faith, and we've crucified that flesh to live by the Spirit. Have you done that? When you look back on your life, when you were baptized, did you stop sinning immediately? Or did you struggle with some things, perhaps? Probably so. I'm not talking about the fact that you have to immediately just be right in the, you know, perfect. It's a growth process. But it becomes something in your mind and in your heart that changes and changes your attitude, changes your priorities, right? And you become someone who's walking in the Spirit 
Now you're putting away the things of the flesh. Interesting concept. In principle, it's easier to see it, right? In practice, maybe not as easy, right? In practice, this might be a little bit harder. But turn over to Colossians chapter 3 there. And let's see what Paul says there. Got a passage there. He talks about putting off that old man. Beginning in verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. He says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with these deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Paul's kind of alluding to what he's talking about in Galatians when he's writing to the church in Colossae here. He's saying we need to put off the old man and put on the new. Live in that spirit, not in the flesh. And how do we do that? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to be jumping around a little bit today. I hate to, hate to do it that way, but we have some powerful verses to look at here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. <clears throat> he says, But you have not so learned Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But you have not so learned to Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, <clears throat> and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we do this? How do we put on the new man? We learn from Jesus Christ. We see what he did. We know his teachings. We know his actions. We are to be acting like him. We are to be disciples, followers. That's why he says, follow me. He's showing us, he showed us how to live. So when we put on that new man, we are to live like Jesus Christ. Sure, we're not perfect. We're not going to be without sin. But as we walk in the Spirit, that blood is continually cleansing us as we go. So we're taught by Christ. Are you crucifying the flesh in practice? Are you trying to live a holy life? That's what we're talking about here. Crucifying the flesh in both principle and practice cannot be without God's help, though. It's got, we got to have his help, right? As I said, it's a lot easier said than done. Okay? It's a lot easier to understand the principle. It's a lot easier to be, just be baptized and begin that Christian life than it is to continue in it. The world is evil. The world is constantly tempting us. 
it's easy to give up. How do we do it? How do we continue to practice it? Turn over to uh, John chapter 6. Let's see what the Lord had to say about that. John chapter 6. Verse 53 in chapter 6. And this is going to be an interesting passage. I know you've read it before. It's kind of a hard one to understand, but we're going to read it. See if we can kind of glean something from it. John 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Huh? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And you can imagine what they were thinking, right? What is he talking about? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should eat the Son, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. We have to walk in the Spirit. We have to understand what Jesus taught, what Je how Jesus lived. But we also have the Spirit of God, that part of the Trinity, that one God, to help us. How does that happen? Well, the Spirit has revealed the Word of God through, uh, through what we have in the Bible. That's how we know. We learn from that. We also got to be doing stuff in practice. We got to be servants. We got to be helping each other. We got to be doing the will of God. There is work to do. It's good that you're here today. I mean, that's a good start, right? But you can't just sit in the pew. You got to get to work. And man, you got to be on your knees can't harp on that enough. The Spirit is here to help you. You cannot do it alone. You might think you can. You might think, oh, I, I, I don't do those. I don't, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't sin. I don't, I don't go out and get drunk every night. I don't, I don't carouse with a bunch of women or men. Still got to have the Spirit. Still got to have the help. You can't do it on your own. And that's one of the things Paul's alluding to here, right? In the beginning, the Spirit gives us this life, right? Titus 3, 5, he says, we are washed by, he, the Spirit gives us life through the washing and regeneration of the Spirit, of baptism, right? Turn over to John 3 there, and let's read something else. And this is a well-known passage, but we're going to read it just the same. Being in verse 1. 
John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? <coughs> can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify that we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed that he who does the truth comes to light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they, may, that they have been done of God. You see, we are truly born again of both water and spirit and that puts us in the, that, that puts us in the kingdom, right? That, that is how we receive the spirit. That is how we live in the spirit through that baptism and into his, his death and burial and resurrection. Romans 8, we talk about the indwelling. Let's go over there and read that. Romans 8, verse 11. Let's see what he says there. I know these are a lot of verses that you know, but we're going to read them anyway. Just refresh our memories. Actually, go back to verse 9. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It's through that Spirit that we have life. Christ died. He was raised again. He now is reigning in His kingdom. He gave us the companion, the friend, the Spirit, to help us understand how to live. That's how we have the life. If you're living in the flesh, if you're living in sin, living in the world, Paul says you're dead. You're already dead. Yeah, I know you you exist. You're on the earth. You have a 
carbon footprint, like they say, you know. But you're not alive. And the world doesn't understand that, you know. They think that's silly, that's just stupid talk. The only true life is in the spirit. And remember, when we were at the end of John, every time we were studying John, he came to save the lost and to give you life, give you abundant life. And that means not just in heaven, that means here on earth. The only way to really have life is in the spirit. By virtue is indwelling, living in the temple of our, our bodies, you can say, we know that is true, which empowers us to put to death the deeds of the body. You say, but man, I'm, I'm tempted so hard. I, I, I struggle with certain things. I can't stop it. Sure you can. You get in the word, you get on your knees, and you get to work. That's how you do it. By living in the spirit. That's how you live in the spirit. When, have you ever noticed probably, I, I, I would say a lot of you probably have thought this. Was there a time, and maybe, you, maybe it's right now, where you were struggling with some kind of temptation? Did you notice your prayer life kind of didn't exist anymore? Or maybe it kind of just went away? Did you notice that your study time was hindered, that you were having trouble finding time to be in the Word? You don't have to shake your heads, but I bet you, I bet you that was going on. If nothing else, maybe you felt enough guilt that you were... You couldn't do it, but like a hypocrite, right? That's how we live in that spirit, folks. That's how we do it. In the beginning, we're baptizing him. Currently, we're continually to be in prayer and in his word. Are you living in the spirit? Are you gaining strength from being in the spirit? Because we live in the spirit, there's great, great, there's great potential for awesome growth. There's growth. That's not automatic, though, and we can be guilty of derailing it. You go back to Ephesians 4 there. In fact, it should be near there. Ephesians 4, and look at verse 25. <clears throat> Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may, impake, it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. <clears throat> one of the things that we talk about is having that focus, right? That heavenly focus. And that's hard to do in our daily lives. We get busy, right? We're not thinking about our lives as Christians. We're thinking about what we got to do tomorrow at work or what we got to get done at school, you know, because we got a report that's done, due and you know, midnight on Tuesday and it's 100 pages and I ain't even started. We got all that stuff going on and we lose focus, right? You see, as Christians, if we're living in the Spirit, it should be like we're in heaven. 
And every day should be, thank God for what you did for me. And I know I'm only going to be here a short time. I'm going to do everything I can to serve you in this kingdom and, what, and glorify you in whatever I do. We lose sight of that. We don't think on it. We tend to forget that. And if we're not careful, we fall back into temptation and we can grieve the Spirit. <clears throat> Paul talks about there in those last few verses how to walk in that Spirit, right? He says, not conceited, not manifesting uh, selfish ambitions or not being contrary to the mind of Christ, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, not manifesting lowliness of mind that leads to, uh, not manifesting haughtiness of mind, I mean, leads to conceit, being conceited or thinking you're better than others and you're, you're above all this. And perhaps you're like the world, right? We have to be humble. We have to have that meekness. We have to be ready to be gentle, as he says there, kind and free from conceit because really your life is in the spirit. It's not you. You didn't do anything to be there. God did it for you, sending his son, sending the spirit. It's not provoking. We read that in verses 19 through 20. Manifested by conduct such as immorality, outbursts of wrath. You could go on and on kindness, you know, all those things. Manifesting instead joy and peace, long-suffering. We as brethren should be taking care of each other long-suffering with each other. And you read about that all through the New Testament, right? Paul has to deal with letters he gets from, uh, from some of the churches saying, you know, what do we do about those who have a problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols? Or what do we do about those who uh, think we still need to be circumcised? Right? He's having to deal with this over and over because you have different levels of growth, right? You have weaker Christians, you have those who come from a pagan background, they don't understand the law like the Jews did. All those things come into that, right? We have to help each other. We have to be peaceful and joyous and help each other and show others by example too. Not just example, a word of mouth, by service. Now myself, I, I, I've seen things in this congregation that have blown, people have done that blow me away, right? Wonderful things. I believe this is a very caring congregation. I don't know that every person that's ever had a problem had someone help them from here, and that's probably not the case. There might even be somebody in here that says, I had a problem, nobody helped me. It's a large congregation, understand that, right? It's not easy to keep up with everyone. That's where everybody comes in, though. It's not just the elders' problem. It's not just the minister's, minister's problem. It's every one of us. When you're living in the spirit, in the kingdom, you are to serve, period. That doesn't mean just coming here and sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. That means you need to be doing something. Not to save yourself. You can't save yourself by works. But because of what he did for you. And if you're not doing that, that's something you need to be thinking about. Man, ministers have done such a great job of providing opportunities for people to do things, for service opportunities. We have so many ways to get to work in this congregation. You 
really have no excuse. I'm sorry, but you don't. And that's going to continue to the next year. We've already had our theme provided. You know what that's going to be like? I would encourage every one of you to get involved in some way or another. I know it's not easy to do. We have busy lives. Understand that. But we're going to do everything we can here to help you get to work. We're going to do everything we can as much as we know, as much as we can, to help each other out. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're trying to do. We want to be in heaven, right? And we want to be there with you. You know, you may have a few personality conflicts here and there. Understandable. I mean, you have family. Do you like your, all your brothers and sisters? I hope you love them, but you may not necessarily like them all, right? You know, I see a few smiles. But we're here together to get to heaven. What happens here really doesn't matter if it doesn't have anything to do with getting to heaven, right? You've been wronged? Somebody talked dirty about you? Yeah, that hurts. Doesn't feel good. I want my revenge. What's the point? If your focus is in the spirit, if you're truly planning to be in heaven, what does it matter? Remember Jesus? He was spit on, had a thorn of crowns on his head, beaten how many times? Thrashed. Paul, look what Paul went through. Did he complain about it? No, he used it in ministry to show, hey, these things will happen to me, yet I have not strayed from the course. I have continued because his focus was in the Spirit. I know I'm getting preachy. But you can't really talk about this stuff without getting a little preachy, right? Also, walking in the Spirit is not envying. It's not manifested by jealousy. It's not manifested by hatred. And that's kind of what I was talking about there a little bit. A lot of those things stem from, boy, I mean, that's not fair. He got this and I don't get it. Why is that? Who cares? If you're all going to be in heaven at the end, what difference does it make? Are you walking in the Spirit free from conceitedness, free from being provoking? In other words, a troublemaker? Free from envy? Those who belong to Christ are those who crucified the flesh in both principle and practice. I dare to say most of you have crucified the flesh in principle, and I would hope that you are continuing to crucify the flesh in practice. Do we truly belong to Christ? Are we continuing to walk that way? Begins with baptism. Galatians 3.27 is those who have put on Christ are now being, through baptism, have been saved, right? Galatians 2.20 continues with a life of faith. Galatians 6.15, it produces a whole new person. Such is the life that Christ offers. To be made alive in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, bearing fruit in the Spirit, and in I think it's going to be after Christmas. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit and we're going to show how those contrast the works of the flesh. But turn over to John chapter 10 and we'll finish up with this.
John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Let me encourage you today to consider that. If you're living in the flesh, you can change. You still have the opportunity. You need to be living in the Spirit. And by living in the Spirit, the Lord promises you an abundant life. You think, eh, don't see like it, don't seem to me like it's that great. No. I guarantee you some of the folks here have been living in that life for years will tell you, I can't imagine living any other way. And usually, you have a much better life. Probably a lot fewer problems, don't you? Doesn't mean you're not going to have problems, I'm not saying that. You're living in the spirit the way God designed it. It's like being in heaven. And when we get to heaven, well, we can't even fathom that in this life, right? But we can kind of get a taste of it. I encourage you to put off the works of the flesh, crucify the old man, and live life abundant. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.